0: Together, they will defy the odds and ensure that your dreams become a reality. Don't wait any longer. Get proactive in your child's recruitment process today by visiting proactiveathletes.com.
1: And make sure you use Shark Effect 10 for 10% off. And until you realize that that is how this business works, you'll continue to become prey to this business model that is the business of sport that is not designed to plug into you as a person of development and growth needs. You have to do that yourself. And that's my hope. That's my hope for student athletes and professional athletes alike. But far too often we don't see that while they're playing. it's Welcome
0: to the Shark Effect. I'm your host, Alex Molden. I'm a former NFL veteran, and now I'm a leadership and personal development speaker and coach. In this podcast, you will hear inspirational and humorous stories from leaders of all walks of life, from current and former professional athletes, coaches, authors, experts, executives, and successful business owners. Discover how these leaders not only overcame obstacles, but also learned core principles that led to their success when leading others. Welcome to another episode of the Shark Effect Podcast. I'm your host Alex Molden, and I'm excited for you guys to tune in today. Thank you once again for for tuning in. Um, you know we're we're nearing over twenty eight thousand downloads. Um, we're dropping. I think I believe this is number episode ninety six. So I'm excited for you all to um, be tuning in. And I appreciate that. And I'm gonna just take it a little bit further. Okay, for for those people who've been listening to me for a while, me and my guest, I uh, love for you to be able to to share this podcast. Share with other people who you think could benefit from it. And I'm all I'm also gonna ask you to to give it a rating and a review. Um, you know, I won't take that much time out of your day. Maybe a minute or two. but I love to give me uh, I love for you to give me honest feedback. So give me a review, share it with others, um, follow me so you can get updates on when I drop um, my episodes. okay? So um, enough of that. I want you guys to buckle up because my guest this week is Dr. Sean J. Fletcher. Um, Dr. Sean J., uh Fletcher. Is uh, a principal consultant for Sean J. Fletcher diversity training, as well as a tenured track professor at San Jose State, San Jose State University. Sean has communications experience with private and public organizations for whom he's a, he's provided counsel on strategic messaging, executive communications, employee engagement, diversity and inclusion, and brand manage- management and development. Um, he is continuing to expand as he's involved into a, you know, into a sought after panel moderator and interviewer having moderated sessions with the 19 with the 1968 Olympic icon John Carlos and CNN chief White House correspondent Jim Acosta along with Fortune 500 leaders he also received recognition for his very emotional TEDx talk you guys got to check it out on mental health discourse within the African American community So, Dr. Sean, he's he's been a regular contributor on CBS, NBC, and Fox in the Bay Area, offering commentary on issues of race and gender equity in sport, politics, and mental health in America. And he has been featured in the Washington Post, New York Times, NPR, and Black Enterprise. So, I want you guys to buckle up because we dive into some pretty heavy topics um, and you know, he has some, some great insights. I know I learned something. I, I I learned a lot from, you know, from just listening to him answer some of my questions. So I'm, I'm excited for you guys to tune in. Okay. All right, here we go. My man, Dr. Sean Fletcher, man, you know, since our last conversation, you know, you got me thinking a lot, you know, we spoke off air hmm. and you know, it was a, a powerful conversation. You know, we—I could talk a couple of hours with you, but um, I just like, man, I gotta have this guy on my podcast. Yes, he's a—he's a brother of a great teammate of mine, Terrell Fletcher. Um, Love playing with him when I was with the Chargers. Just like a, just a great person, a great person, and you know, to to link up with you is his, his brother, Dr. Sean, man. I know you are a great person and I want to be able to, um, well, thank you once for being on the shark effect. And, you know, I just want to kind of dive into, you
1: know, some conversations with you, if you don't mind. The funny, I don't mind at all, Alex. The funny thing is, is that when you reached out, you didn't even know. Terrell was my brother. That's the funny part about how small this world is. You didn't even, I had to tell you, you didn't even realize, you didn't even make the connection, man. Which makes it even that much more authentic, man. So I appreciate it. Oh,
0: for sure. Yeah, I was just like, man, this dude, I keep seeing him on social media and it's just like, he's just one of the smartest cats. And then when you told me that, it was like a out of a movie. Like I started looking at you differently. Like,
1: and then uh, the voice, the cadence, you're like, yeah, that
0: makes sense. Of course it is. man. Yeah. No, no, that's good stuff, man. Um, Dr. Sean, can you tell my listeners just a little bit? I already, you know, said a yep. little bit about you, but can you tell my listeners a little bit more about, about you and, and um, where you're at right now?
1: So I, I wear a number of, of different hats. Um Primarily, I am a professor of public relations and sport communication at San Jose State University. But uh, I spent over a decade in the corporate space uh, working for I led communication or internal communication for Volkswagen Group of America, for Apple. That's what brought me back out to, to California. Um, I, I ended up uh, getting heavily involved in diversity, equity, and inclusion work uh, at multiple stops in the corporate space and and I'm sure we'll talk more about it later, but ended up hanging my own shingle and starting my own consultancy, uh, Sean J. Fletcher diversity consultancy that sort of took off uh, around 2019 into 2020 with so much that was going on in the social justice space that it, much of that work, keeps me busy. Now I'm doing research. I'm trying to write books. I'm trying to do a number of different things just to try to keep important conversations going on. And I love that. So when you say research, what do you mean by
0: that in that in that world? With so, diversity so, part and of, inclusion?
1: so so here's an interesting part. Part of being a, a professor, a tenure track professor, that a lot of people don't realize is that you're not simply teaching. Teaching is really secondary, to a tenure track professor, they bring on tenured professors to, to research, to continue to add to the body of knowledge and understanding of what's going on out there within your space. So I'm doing uh, research now in terms of, I'm doing some media studies uh, research around the perceptions of black athletes and mental health and mm. how media framing and portrayals can, like the Simone Biles and the, the uh, Naomi Osaka's of the world, how the media frame some of, of their, their battles with, with mental health, their positionings in terms of why they did what they did and how the media uses often rhetorical devices to position the public's viewpoint on that in terms of if they're for or against what is truly a personal stance that an athlete takes in terms of securing and taking care of their mental well being. So, doing a lot of, of just further unearthing of some of those narratives and stories that then let people like me and you go have educated discourse on some of those subjects to combat some of the issues that are out there. And then I get an opportunity to, to have conversations from that research with people in the media, guys like, like Jim Trotter, who's a good a good yeah. uh, buddy of mine, uh, whom you know as well, who's now with NFL Media and NFL Network, who, who was a, a beat writer for uh, San Diego Union Tribune, having conversations with him around the lack of diversity within the media and newsrooms that then turn into not telling authentic stories and representations in the media that we consume, and then we'll turn around and make our judgments on Naomi Osaka's decision, on DeMar DeRozan's decision to sit out and take care of mental health, on serena williams and some of the different storylines that she's had that she's had to to battle really diving deeper so we're not just having anecdotal dialogue about those but to actually say the media played a significant role in framing how the public viewed some of these people i'm working on an article now around colin kaepernick and how the media and the nfl use certain rhetorical devices to frame what he was doing around 2016 in terms of not just kneeling, but the ensuing social justice work and the narratives that were out there that ultimately helped to frame how the public viewed what he was doing as being either martyrdom or being nefarious in in motive. Um, And a number of different storylines that came out that ultimately has led to this brother not having a fair shot at getting back into professional football. So when I say research, I'm talking about not simply diving into a bunch of uh, quantitative sort of mind numbing work, but to take a practical approach to understanding some of the conversations that we have just on an anecdotal level. Every single day about some of the the major headlines that's going out there in the world, man. That's yeah, that's that's powerful. That's powerful work right there. Tell me about like,
0: you know, because when you said like you started in, in public relations, yeah, with like with athletes, it seems like like with PR, it's always like you guys put the fire out. <laughs> 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 put the fire, or maybe. Like, Spin doctors, as they call it. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. how does that how does that how can we um be able to as whether it's athletes or people in in positions of of leadership, mm-hmm. man, what are some of the things that we can do that doesn't put a a, a like a a dark light on us?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm hmm. The, the the most important part for athletes or anyone to understand, and we've heard this before, it's, it's sort of cliche now, is that we're our own brands. All right. And it doesn't matter what level you're operating on, whether you have 100 followers or whether you have 100 million followers, you're your own brand, how you put yourself out there, how you frame your story and then ultimately tell it. From a rhetorical standpoint not just simply from word of mouth but how you really walk the talk in terms of things you're exposing yourself to um relationships that you're part of collaborations you're a part of um they all in some total add up to our brands all the way down to the clothes that we wear all the way to you know just how we we position ourselves in the public space that's who you are. And protecting that is paramount. And I think many public figures, especially athletes who should be about the business of what is making them gainfully employed, whether it be on the playing field, the ball court, whatever it is, that's where, where your bread is buttered. So you got to keep the main thing, the main thing. But we, we've grown into such a society where business especially in this digital social media age to where it's no longer good enough to just simply worry about x's and o's and being great on the field because once you step outside of it you are overly saturated in terms of people having this insatiable appetite to know about you to know what you're eating for breakfast, to know what books you're reading, to know what family situations are like, are you dating somebody, are you doing, they wanna know everything. And those people who cut themselves off are significantly significantly cutting themselves off from a potential revenue stream. Mm-hmm. So now when athletes make a decision, either, either overtly or By virtue of creating an Instagram account, you instantaneously have 100,000 followers as soon as Marshawn Lynch creates an Instagram account without even putting a post up there. But many of them have no strategy when they do such a thing, all right? It's almost like putting yourself in a glass fishbowl and then not having any plan for how you're going to position yourself, but the world's looking at you at that point. Mm-hmm. And public relations isn't simply crisis management. Public relations is also proactive. It is, it is, it is sitting and having a dialogue around, okay, you are a, a growing athlete with a growing persona. Who do you want to be? Are you a philanthropist? Are you a Charles Barkley, early 90s, I am not a, ro- a role model guy? To say, just look at me on the basketball court. I'm going to post a bunch of pictures about me training and about me doing interviews. But if you're looking for something outside of that, you got the wrong guy. Who are you? Who's, what's your identity? Mm-hmm. And coincidentally, the lack thereof while you're playing tends to have an impact after you're done playing as well. That lack of identity, but that's a different conversation. Yes, But from the standpoint of public relations, there is a tremendous opportunity for athletes to develop their brand to where they control it, because if you don't control it, the public will. They will tell you who you are and you will have uh, by virtue of your affiliations, the 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 collaborations you make, the program you are a part of. Whether it's NIL on the college level or it's professional and your organization, you'll be framed according to how they frame you. Athletes taking ownership of their persona, of their identity, and then deciding how they're going to navigate it is critical. It's not just critical for revenue streams, but it's also critical, as I mentioned, from an identity standpoint. So you create that identity, you can then do a number of different strategic things that allow for you to fuel that identity. And conversely, stay away from some things that are counter to said identity that you create. And when we don't see that, that's oftentimes a recipe for disaster for a lot of these athletes.
0: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. It's, it's like they just think of what they do on the in their sport. Mm-hmm. That's all that's you know that's all that matters. Mm-hmm. It's like
1: man. Well, what
0: happens when you stop playing your sport?
1: Mm-hmm. How do you become a business? How do you become a business that allows for yourself to reinvent when the time comes? How when when you're no longer the best athlete on the field, you have to reinvent yourself. You have to become crafty you have to know how to box people out and reposition yourself you're not running past people anymore so how are you going to stay effective it's no different than in the business space as well when you're no longer a headline grabbing athlete what's next what's left for you have you positioned yourself because unfortunately you're no greater of a commodity than when you're playing i'll say it again you're no greater from a business enterprise standpoint you're no greater of a value commodity than when you are currently playing your sport ideally at the highest of level i don't mean personal value i'm talking about business value so When you start to decline in terms of performance and notoriety. People stop calling you. All right. (laughs) you Stop getting called for interviews. You stop getting called for opportunities. You stop getting called for collaborative business ventures that potentially could become something that's worthwhile after you're done playing. So it's too late to learn that after you're finished playing. It's too late to become a brand and a business after you're finished playing because you've significantly lost business equity because now those individuals who want to plug into you are not simply trying to plug into you as a a good human being they're trying to plug into you as a as a athlete Mm -hmm. who is high profile or affiliated with a high high profile program or organization to where now you're raising their boat But also they see an opportunity to where in kind we can partner with you. And if you are able to position yourself to maximize that opportunity, that business venture, we've seen many different athletes be able to do that. And it's not simply the LeBron James of the world who have billionaires coming to their door saying, do you want to start a production company? Do you want to start some sort of financial uh, venture? Do you want to do non Do you want to do things of that nature? It's the, it's the mid-level players who are finding opportunities to leverage their brand as they're playing, to then maximize it to where once they're done, they immediately can transition and reinvent themselves into not simply an athlete, but now moving into business ventures. That's what's so critical about not just public relations, but about branding and seeing yourself as a business brand. I love that, man.
0: And as you was talking, man, some, some of what, you already mentioned his name, but he popped into my head and I was like, that's Marshawn Lynch. Mm -hmm. What he has done with his brand when he was playing and the cool thing, is he knew his identity. He wasn't going to change up. He was the same person that Mm -hmm. he was on the field and then off the field. And people love that. They love that raw, Mm -hmm. you know, Oakland swag, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, for him to be on these different shows um, Mm -hmm. now, I think he's part part owner of um, the uh, hockey team up in Seattle. Yeah. we got some other opportunities going. He's, um, Um, He's doing some stuff with the NFL.
1: Mm -hmm. Um,
0: That's somebody who I was like, man, that dude, man, he's when you was talking right there, his picture popped right in my head.
1: Yeah. And you got people like Candace Parker, who who's who's currently playing, but she knows her career is winding down in the WNBA. She's she's doing media work while she's playing. Ryan Clark did that his last couple of years with the Pittsburgh Steelers when he would start to moonlight with ESPN and some other. Uh, networks. There are a number of different athletes who are modeling that behavior of leveraging their star while it's bright as an athlete Mm -hmm. to create opportunities for them when they know their days are inevitably as an athlete going to come to an end. And it's too late when you're, when you sign those or submit those retirement play uh, papers to the league, It's too late at that point because everybody knows that you submitted them unless you are, again, LeBron James or Peyton Manning or Eli Manning or or someone who just transcends the the playing field in terms of notoriety. You have to have a strategy. You got to know and start thinking about what's next. Draymond Green is doing it now Mm -hmm. with TNT. He's a he's a player analyst. He signed a contract. He's not simply just doing reoccurring spots. He signed a contract with Turner Sports to be on TNT and do the guest spots that he does. He's a Turner employee. He gets it. Yeah. He gets it. And he's transitioning to where when his playing days are over and people are not just clamoring for Golden State Draymond Green, for three-time champion Draymond Green for NBA-affiliated Draymond Green, he's just going to be Draymond Green.
0: Yeah,
1: He's already establishing that opportunity to build a bridge, which he's doing now, to his next step in life. Because unfortunately, I, I don't think what a lot of athletes understand is that, uh, God willing, you have a long life to live after you're done playing. How is that going to be lived? And are you simply going to be trying to, to coast on the vapors of a playing career when you've not established anything solid that allows for you to continue moving forward in a purposeful, meaningful way?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's good, man. So tell me, like, with these, with these people who make mistakes, we all do. Mm -hmm. I love to get your insight on like the Phil Mickelson's of the world, the tiger woods, the Will Smith's of the world Mm -hmm. that they make a mistake in judgment. The words that they speak don't align with who who they say they are. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that they can do? Can it be reversed? Can they, can they flip it? Number one, can they um, use that, that disadvantage as an advantage can that happen? And then what steps do they need to take in the, in how they are out in the public? You know, some of the things that that happen, you know, f- you know, for regular folks, we make mm-hmm. a mistake and whatnot. And it's mm-hmm. viewed by other people. What mm-hmm. steps do we need to take to be able to reverse it and and still be able to if, if we can get to that same how people look at us? Is mm-hmm. it possible? And what steps mm-hmm. do we need to
1: take? Well, I think that the interesting part about some of those examples that you gave is some of those those personalities, they're not created equal from the standpoint of um, their stature and their standing in their respective industries that play a significant role in the reconciliation that after you've made a mistake is possible even. All right. Tiger Woods is a beloved figure who is bankable, whether you like him or not. He is bankable. They want him to come back. The PGA Tour, as soon as he could stand upright after those accidents, they were calling saying, is he going to play in the the championship? Is he going to play in the Masters? Is he going to play in said event? Phil Mickelson, not so much. All right. Phil Mickelson is, while an excellent golfer, not as bankable as Tiger Woods is. He's not a transcendent figure like Tiger Woods is. So his road to redemption is a little rockier than Tiger's. Tiger has had a tumultuous um, portions of his career, I'll say. Not all of it, but portions of his career, uh, personally, for the most part. And then he's made some comments that, um, in terms of... um, uh, the I'm not black and the, the uh, sort of conversation around his heritage and things of that nature to where he's turned off certain segments of the population as well. But his talents and his box office ability always transcended faux pas that he made. And going back to the earlier point that we previously were talking about, You can only do those things when you know how the public views you. When you have a brand positioning and you know how you may have damaged that brand, only then can you know how and where you need to reconcile the trauma that you have caused. Like with Will Smith. Is it trust? Yeah, it is. Will Smith has made a significant uh, mint the last portions of his career of being sort of this empowerment um, um, successes on the other side of fear guy. And then you go and do something that directly opposes that. All right. It's not peace. It was not reconciliation. You gave in to the beast and struck another black man. Uh, on on live TV, in front of the world to see, so he alienated a number of different audiences. But that's another reason why, and it's PR 101 why you have not seen or heard from him since his last social media post was that apology, and that was a couple of days after it happened, which were a couple months ago. That's PR 101. He went missing. He's letting this go out of the news cycle as much as he possibly can. So there is the the business strategy of trying to recover your brand like Tiger Woods. He went out of the news cycle after he had the ex-wife issue and the crashing of the car and the golf club to the car, all that stuff. He went out of the media for a long time this particular time. He went out of the media, but he made sure that his team was combating some of the rumors of was he on meds when he crashed? Was he endangering civilians and traveling at a high rate of speed? Was he on some sort of foreign substance? His team would come out and combat those things and then would continue to let the public know, I'm doing well, I'm doing well, I'm doing well. That's PR 101 and then you set yourself up for an opportunistic comeback it's not coincidence that he came back for the biggest tournament in pro golf augusta the masters that is his now coming out party of did you miss me i know you missed me i'm gonna come out on the biggest of biggest of largest stages Will Smith is likely going to do something similar. That's why you see people sit down with Oprah Winfrey for a tell all conversation Mm, because she's box office. She has a brand that people want to be affiliated with that's known for being comforting and soothing and reconciliatory. It's no coincidence that you see these high profile individuals do those things. All right. And if you if 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 you're looking at a a Phil Mickelson, I'm not so sure what his avenues are that are from a similar reconciliation standpoint with his publics, because I don't know who they are. He hasn't fully established a brand like a Tiger Woods or like a Will Smith or like a Michael Jordan to where you know exactly who to go to when you mess up. And you know exactly what you did to to infringe upon that relationship. I'm not sure he even knows or his team even knows who who his audience is per his branding outside of sponsors, because that seems to be whom they have been speaking to with some of his moves and his actions. Sponsors who have pulled out. The PGA Tour who have sort of gone cold on phil mickelson tiger doesn't have that problem tiger always knew where his bread was buttered and he's always found a way he and his team to strategically position himself to where he can get back in good graces you are likely going to see will smith uh do some sort of apology tour uh, my hope is that it is not on that red table talk with his wife, because, again, PR deals with optics. PR deals with intentionality. It deals with um, um, authenticity and how genuine you come off as and sincere. And because the infringement that he had when he did that was a a trust issue, mm-hmm. that you're not hitched. You're not the lovable guy. You're not the fresh prince. You have a demon side of you that showed on national TV. You got some demons you're fighting. So he's going to have to respond in kind. And it will likely be something with a tell all interview that goes and purges some of and he's shared some of it before his childhood that led to this some of his suppressed issues that led to this outburst that we saw and then uh, as typical pr 101 he is going to try and and tell the public what he's going to do to make sure this never happens again or at least try to minimize the possibility of this ever happening again while he's asking for constant grace and forgiveness, which are all messages that he was telling before this happened. Mm -hmm. So PR is a when you're dealing with with images and branding, especially at a high profile level is very delicate. It's very delicate. But the beauty of it all is that especially from an entertainment standpoint, you, you also need to know your audience as well. And knowing that we deal with a largely fickle public consumer audience who wants to see Will Smith perform. They want to see the craft of Tiger Woods. They want to see Phil Mickelson win Jack uh, green jackets. They want to see these athletes and entertainers entertain. So they are willing to give you a pass. Oftentimes on some things you shouldn't get a pass on just so you can go back to being and delivering upon what this entertainment and wow factor is that entertains us as a mass and if i don't let you do that i'm hurting myself as a consumer of your craft so pr also knows that as well so they're already at an advantage because the public wants the entertainment that is will smith to come back Mm, that's
0: good man What's the biggest roadblock you see for being an athlete, whether high school, college, and in the pros? Like, what is that one thing that could get in the way?
1: Not owning your own development. That—that's the, the the challenge that that I see even working with collegiate athletes uh, to this day. Um, far too often, athletes are regimented and this is on all different levels. I've talked with with retired pro athletes that were so accustomed to a regimented lifestyle and being told where to go, when to show up, their schedules were set, the clocks were set in the facilities. You knew exactly what you needed to do at any given time, even your off days. You only have Tuesdays as your off days. So I got my tea time or I'm going to get my (laughs) massage or I'm going to spend some time with the family. Your life is regimented for a number of years. And if you are not careful, you will not have ownership truly of any of it. You'll think you do, but you don't. You're being told what to do. And again, while that does have uh, some significant challenges after you're done playing, I'm now talking about while you're playing is at what point do our athletes take a step back and zoom out and say, what decisions am I truly making on my own? That's going to impact my future, because when all these handlers are as well intended as they may be, when you're done playing. The handlers stay. You go. All right. Now you're setting your own schedule. You're making your own appointments. Unless, again, of course, you're the LeBron Jameses of the world where you they will come with you when you're done playing. But for the ninety nine percent of athletes, at some point you have to own your own course and your own development. And if you're in 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 college, a college athlete. Are you choosing your own courses, or are athletic advisors telling you basically what you what you like, which is based upon their needs to keep you eligible, or their needs to keep you with the schedule that's going to allow you to be at practice and lifting and training table and the training room and all that type of stuff? Because the the unique part and 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 as a, a ex student athlete myself, I saw it firsthand to where. If you are not very, very plugged in and I'm not going to claim I was more plugged in than most, but I'm not going to claim that I was 100 percent owning my development. If you don't fully understand who you are and what you want, you will oftentimes have this this misnomer that you're owning it when in actuality you've been given parameters. It's almost like a front yard. It's almost like a front yard, all right, to where you can fence in that front yard and just let the kids play and say, go wherever you want to. Are they really going wherever they want to? No, they're going within the parameters you set because the world is wherever they want to go. You've set an established parameter and they've feel like there is 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 autonomy to move throughout student athletes professional athletes alike the business is set up and i used to i used to 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 work in football operations for now the washington commanders they weren't called them they weren't called that at that point when i worked with them but i saw it firsthand the business of sport and i'm not just talking about pro sport college is a business High school is a business. AAU is a business. All of these feeder systems for athletes are are businesses. Let's be honest. All right. Way before NIL was ever acknowledged. Still a business. The business of sport is codified from the standpoint of it is defined to make sure that we are profitable. We will let you be who you want to be within that box. To the extent that it is profitable, as soon as it stops becoming profitable, Colin Kaepernick, um, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, formerly known as Chris Jackson in the NBA, uh, Craig Hodges. As soon as you become a detriment to our business profitability model, your freedom will be reeled back in or your perceived freedom and autonomy will be reeled back in. And athletes oftentimes don't realize the business rigidity until it's too late, until everybody leaves. And all the people who help structure your life, you now realize, and it comes down on you like a ton of bricks, that they were really only here for athlete Sean. They weren't here for Sean. They were here for student athlete Sean, for professional athlete Alex Molden. But when that persona ended of mine, who was there to help structure, to help do those things that I took for granted? Nobody. It's you and maybe a handful of people who continue on that journey with you who are really there for more than just business purposes. The sooner student I talk to student athletes all the time, and I share this to the extent that they are mature enough to understand it and grasp it and then not just go in one ear and out the other. Unfortunately. If you don't understand that you are a business commodity. Not unlike the iPhone and Apple. It's a product of Apple. They're going to market that thing. They're going to get a supply chain for that thing. They're going to make sure that if yours breaks, we're going to fix it. We're going to get you the shiniest thing we can. Same thing with athletes. But as soon as a new model comes out, they stop making charges for it. They stop uh, um, uh, servicing it. They stop because now they have discontinued support of it. Eventually, athletes, they're going to discontinue support of you. And until you realize that that is how this business works, you'll continue to become prey to this business model that is the business of sport that is not designed to plug into you. As a person of development and growth needs, you have to do that yourself. And that's my hope. That's my hope for student athletes and professional athletes alike. But far too often, we don't see that while they're playing.
0: Yeah, that's good. So, um, what is, because you've been on stages, you've been on TED Talks, you've been in, you know, on, NBC, ABC—you've you, been a lot of places. You, you've got a chance to to uh, meet and, and rub elbows with a lot of um, people, especially people in high platforms. What is leadership, Doctor Sean? Break it down for me.
1: Leadership, in my mind, it, one—it's not monolithic. There is no one route to it. All right, leadership in my mind is adaptability. And what I mean by adaptability is allowing for circumstances, allowing for personality differences, allowing for um, adjustments in direction that ultimately leads you to the vision that has been adopted. And quite often, I've, I've led teams, I've been led on teams, and I've seen a number of different leadership styles that were clearly gleaned from a book. They were gleaned from some sort of seminar, and they were in a very rigid way applied. And when we start bringing the variability of life Because what people don't don't understand, I say this about people all the time. What we don't understand is that when you really look at leadership for what it is, you're leading people, not simply processes. There's a reason why. And and when I worked in, in the corporate world, there were managers of processes and managers of people. You could still be a manager, but many of those people who were not equipped to lead people, just lead processes. That was it. There's no human factor to it. But when you're leading people, people change. People need different things. People are motivated differently. They're demotivated differently. They struggle with things that have nothing to do with the vision and the output of what you all have agreed you're striving towards some of the best leaders that I've ever met that I try and I have tried to take a page from their books, they were always adaptable. They always tried to understand who they were leading first. And whether you're of the mindset of the old axiom, you lead from the front or you lead from the back, servant leadership, whatever whatever you, you subscribe to. When it's all said and done, if you don't know the people you're leading, You can never adjust the route in order to get to the destination, how you choose, how you need to get there. If you take this stubborn approach that we're going to take this straight path or a certain path to the destination that you're trying to lead someone or somebody or some group to ultimately, if you do make the destination, chances are some of your group is not going to be with you when you get there odds are you will have done more than what you should have done as a leader because some of the best leaders that I've ever I've ever heard coaches alike and when I say leaders I mean coaches Mm -hmm. as well have always said and I had a boss who told me this too when I was just looking for guidance And they said, Sean, there's a reason I hired you, because you bring something to this dynamic I don't. And they said, I'm going to trust that you're going to bring that expertise to the table. And it, it gave me ownership and skin in the game, so to speak. And it motivated me. And it gave me this liberation that I hadn't had before to say, yes, I'm valued. To say, yes, I'm a critical part. In, in, a, in our team, getting to where we need to be. And that leader showed leadership through humility to not say it's my way or the highway. Mm-hmm. But they also had to see in me that I was ready for that role. But also they had to see in me more than just my resume. They had to see in me what I didn't see in myself to position me to ultimately be in the role that I needed to play on this life chess board that would ultimately get all of us to where we need to be. And when people say that life is like chess, it absolutely is. When is the last time have you ever seen someone win a chess match with just the king on the board? No. You need bishops. You need rooks. You need to effectively use your pawns, which some people think are just collateral damage. Just I'm going to lose those so I can exchange some one for one. That is such a microcosm of life to where we 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 devalue the people that we feel are the lowest on the totem pole or frontline individuals or people who have less seniority than others, a.k.a. pawns on a chessboard. And say, you're interchangeable, you're replaceable. I'm not going to develop you because a pawn can never be a bishop. A pawn can never be a rook. A pawn can never be a knight. A pawn can never be a queen. A pawn can never be a king. You're going to be this. And this is the only thing you're ever going to be. And while chess is different than life, is that you can develop a pawn into a queen The chessboard analogy is that you can also position a pawn to do the effective work of a queen if you have the correct vision Mm -hmm. for said pawn. But if you only view that pawn as a piece that can go front and diagonal, if, if the opportunity presents itself, You'll never give them an opportunity to be anything greater than a pawn. And conversely, they'll only see themselves as a pawn. Mm -hmm. The best leaders I've ever had could see the whole chessboard. And they knew how to position us. They knew how to position me to see myself as more than just that pawn. And while I only saw myself as a limited, linear, moving, entity at that point in my career they saw that they needed me to do more than that the team needed me to do more than that and we're only going to stand victorious if all of us are positioned correctly to do the things that the vision calls for us to do so leadership is one of those things to where if you are adaptable if you really want What's best for your team on the way to the je- the destination? You will do the things necessary to position your team to get there, and that takes a special type of individual. Yeah, that's good. That's good, Dr. Sean.
0: Man, tell my people because you know we've been talking for for a good little while now. Yeah, but I want my people to get to. You know, if they want more of you, you know, if they want to bring you in to talk to their organizations, um, I know you do trainings. I know you do workshops. I definitely know you do speaking. Mm -hmm. Um, You got some things, you know, that's coming up. I'm not going to share that. I'll let you do if you want to. But um, how can my people get more of you?
1: First of all, they can go to my website, uh, Sean J. Fletcher dot com Um, you'll learn about many of the things that i do primarily from uh, a diversity and cultural competency training perspective i also give some updates on uh, my book that that i have coming out uh, around mental health and black athletes um, and i sprinkle some media effects within that as well also they can follow me on my social media channels uh at Sean J Fletcher on each of them on Instagram uh and and Twitter as well and they'll continue seeing me out there in the public space I try to keep this voice as loud as I possibly can um I'm trying to do some things um, in the works that's on the national stage as well um, so they can, they can absolutely find me, but starting at my website is the best place. Gotcha. Uh,
0: you know, for, for my listeners, um, I've been following Dr. Sean here for for a couple of years now and, you know, on social media, I follow, I follow, you know, I have different categories, right? I follow my, um, you know, people that, um, it, it used to be like, that make me laugh. Of course, I follow some friends and whatnot, but then there's people that you follow, man. You want to get insights. You want to get like, you know, almost like you're, you're like you're 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 educating yourself on on different things. Dr. Sean is one of these people that I follow to get educated. The things that he posts, sometimes it's a it's a live. You know, a lot of times he's on uh, different uh, stations uh, in the media and he's talking about some topics that I was like, and, and gives a different perspective that I don't have. And I look at it, I was like, wow, that was interesting. Like I learned something, you know? So um, he's, he's one it, of those people, man. If you want to learn something, you want to follow him. Um, uh, Dr. man, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. i love to have you back on again in the future
1: anytime anytime just just say the word and i appreciate the work that you're doing as well these are important conversations so uh, if there's anything i could do to support it say the word
0: thanks for listening to this week's episode of the shark effect podcast if you enjoyed what you heard today please share it with a friend and if you haven't already subscribe rate and review the show on your favorite podcast player if you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at thesharkeffect.com. Thanks for listening. It's here, finally. My book, The Ultimate Playbook for High Achievement. You can get it on Amazon in the uh, paper paperback version, or you can get it on Kindle. And who this book is an in, intentionally created for Is for those who are looking to transition, whether you as an athlete or an executive or a successful entrepreneur or whatever. If you're looking to transition into something different, this book can help you. I break it down. I lay down the foundation of who you want to be. I have a chapter in there. That breaks down and boils down leadership, which is influence. And you got to understand these 10 influencers that can help you with decision making, that can help you with influencing others. And how are you influenced? I have chapters in there that really breaks down my system of assignment, alignment, and adjustment. Um, recognizing the power of your environments is a chapter. Developing your own procedures, creating relationship roadmaps, using adversity to your advantage, right? Because we all go through tough times, but how do you flip it? How do you use it to power you, okay? And then developing your own standards. So these are things that can help anybody, not just just athletes. Now, there's some stories in there, you know, that covers topics that, that resonate with athletes, but I think overall, this book can help. Um, Anyone who is looking to transition into becoming successful in something new, something different, okay? So make sure check it out, Amazon, the ultimate playbook for high achievement.